I'd like to introduce Megan Dome. Megan Dome is a columnist for the Los Angeles Times and the author of the best-selling essay collection, My Misspent Youth, and the critically acclaimed novel, The Quality of Life Report. She has written for many publications, including The New Yorker, Harper's, Vogue, and The New York Times. She has been a commentator for National Public Radio's Morning Edition, a contributor to This American Life, and has interviewed many guests for Sokolo. Her LA Times column, which appears every Saturday on the op-ed page, was the winner of the 2006 Southern California Journalism Award in Commentary. She is currently working on a book about real estate and identity, which will be published by Knopf in 2010. Please welcome Megan Daum. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Gregory Rodriguez is also a Los Angeles Times columnist, by the way, so. He's my favorite. <laughs> um, well, thanks for coming tonight. Um, if, uh, if you or someone you know is a writer, I guess seek medical help immediately. Um, now, if, if, uh, if anyone you know is a writer, namely a fiction writer, uh, namely a novelist, and namely a female, um, the subject of tonight's discussion might sound familiar to you. Uh, walk into a bookstore, uh, and you'll probably find that male authors have written all kinds of books, literary fiction, biographies, histories, books about current events, about science, medicine, sports, dogs and cats, even relationships, and dieting. Uh, and in that same bookstore, you'll find just as many, if not more, titles by women. Well, literary fiction, biographies, histories, current events, you get the picture. But the reason that I've called us here today is that I found that sometimes when we're in that store or when we're watching Oprah or reading People magazine, we get a different kind of picture sometimes. We get the sense that books by women, especially novels by women, may be entertaining or even emotionally charged, but they're usually not considered the important novels, the big novels with the big themes or the potential classics. Now, there are exceptions, of course, many, many of them. But the fact is that we have this category now called chiclet, and it tends to include not only light romances about dating and dieting, but sometimes just about anything written by a person with two X chromosomes. So um, I guess I want to talk tonight about, about why we get this feeling. Um, and uh, to, to discuss that with me are, are two writers who are both chicks and uh, they, uh, they write literature. Elizabeth Robinson is on the far end. She's the author of the best-selling novel, The True and Outstanding Adventures of the Hunt Sisters. Uh, before she was a novelist, she worked in the film business as an executive and a producer, working on such films as Braveheart, The Lover, the Bill Murray comedy, The Man Who Knew Too Little, and Last Orders, which was based on the Graham Swift novel. Uh, she's also a screenwriter and a travel writer. She recently drove a motorcycle down the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Vietnam, drove an elephant through India, and a boat through Venice, Italy, I assume, yes. not California. <laughs> okay. um, her second novel, uh, Complicity, is um, also coming out soon from Knopf. <laughs> we're going to soon. go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Yes, we're soon. in the soon. soon. Okay. And she lives in New York City. Very soon. Not soon enough. Yes, never, never, <laughs> never soon enough. Uh, Laura Zygman is the author of four novels, uh, the 1998 bestseller Animal Husbandry, Dating Big Bird, Her, and Piece of Work. In 2001, a film based on Animal Husbandry was released. It was called Someone Like You. I don't know why they didn't call it Animal Husbandry. I, I do. Okay, well, we'll hear about that. Someone Like You. Good. Um, it starred Ashley Judd and Hugh Jackman. 
Before she was an author, she spent 10 years working in New York as a publicist for many major book publishers. And since then, she's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, and Self, among other publications. She's a frequent guest blogger for the Huffington Post, too. Her new book is something different. Um, it was written with television matchmaker Patty Novak, and it's called Get Over Yourself, Get Real, Get Serious, and Get Ready to Find True Love. The topic when for another Zocalo event. It's out. It's out. <laughs> she lives advanced coffee. She lives outside of Boston with her husband and son. Okay. Um, well, I think we should first. I'm going to stop talking, believe it or not. But uh, I think we should first establish that even though we're talking about an issue that is important to writers, it goes beyond just shop talk. This is this is a cultural phenomenon in a way. The way that writing by women and by men, but I mean, I guess we're focusing on women tonight. Um, is, is sort of presented to the world. Because I think there's a whole world of readers out there who, who look specifically to buy fiction that's written by women and for women. And it may be that they're expecting a, a certain formula. So maybe we could start off by talking about how readers responded to your books. Because presumably you didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write something that will have a pink cover and a cocktail dress on the cover. Or, or maybe you did, but you want to start? I was. Um shocked by how my book was packaged because on my book there's a little girl in a um, princess costume and there isn't one in the book <laughs> and, <laughs> and the book is about um, a 30 year old and a 28 year old uh, one works for a congressman one works for a producer and and there's really nasty words in the book and there's sex in the book and I thought wow this seems like false advertising. <laughs> this is not about a, a princess. Um, but I think because I'd worked in the film industry, I understood that my book had become a product that the publishers had to make sure they sold enough copies of to make their money back. And I actually think, as much as I wasn't comfortable with how the book was packaged, I probably benefited from the genre of chiclet because they knew if we get that audience, we'll get will make will sell books and and some friends would say you're being too self-deprecating but I don't think so I think that you know that there's a you know there's high literature and there's Daniel Steele and there's chiclet and then there's like this middle category that if you can't get shoved into chiclet you might not sell as many books so I was sort of sanguine about it as much as I didn't really like it and the one thing that disappointed me was that a lot of uh, of my male friends and, and letters from fans from men said I would never have picked up this book because there's a little girl on the cover. But I loved it and, and I found that men in a lot of ways liked it even more because it had a kind of biting sense of humor that a lot of women don't seem to like. And um, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Say that again? No. And, um, and so, so I felt like I, well, I lost a male audience definitely by the way they package the book, but I probably gained more readers by that same decision. You know, for me, um, there, there were, when Animal Husbandry, was, which was my first book that came out, um, there wasn't really any chiclet, and so the, you know, the, the way it was packaged wasn't, wasn't an issue. And even my second book, and my, which was Dating Big Bird, wasn't really, there was some chiclet stuff coming, but it really wasn't until sort of the third book, and we were just talking about this 
behind um, in the basement, um, where the where the hardcover book of her had um, women's legs in boots, much like these, although it's not my. <laughs> and it was now you go into a bookstore and, and you'll just see a wall of books and sh with shoes on the cover, with shoes or just <laughs> legs. And at the time that her came out, um, the book there were no legs uncovered. <laughs> Legs. Yeah, I'm in a. Um... Now there's lots of legs, but that was like a. There weren't legs yet on books, and and it was sort of this great <laughs> design, and we all loved it. And um, then now there's just legs on everything. But for my fourth, so it's really your fault. It is my fault. Well, le legs okay. or shoes? I mean, I want to. I, I have a montage. Um, you can keep talking. I yeah. mean, keep talking, but it's it's really pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, so when your Animal Husbandry was published in 1998, yeah. so that was the, the beginning of the leg and, and shoe trend. Yeah, there were no legs yet then. Yeah, I mean, and then it's pretty amazing. Wow. For, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, there's feet, too. Here we there's go. <laughs> there, it all is, started This is Laura's book. Look, yeah, at the, look at the boots, though. It's... Um, there's Where'd you get boots. those boots, Laura? Uh, they're not my legs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. That's really what we want. <laughs> but we yeah. love that. I love that jacket because that was the only one like it at the time. There wasn't, there wasn't this backlash or there wasn't this whole thing about legs. Look at this. That's ugly. I mean, let's be frank. I mean, wow. that's just awful. Is, is this a European edition? Of no, this is, this is vintage. <laughs> this really? is vintage. Is, I don't wow. think they liked me Sorry, by that point. It's such an noir. ugly jacket. Yeah. But in a similar sense, my fourth novel, which is called Piece of Work, there was a baby's, as you just saw, a baby's naked behind on it. Um, and there is no baby in the book. There's no baby I mean, in the there's, book. A, there's a child, but there's no baby. And when they first got, saw the jacket, which I actually liked the design of it, I sort of liked that white background with the butt. But I was kind of, it, it took me a few minutes, I was like, oh, but, oh, but, there is no baby, baby in, in the book. book. And that was just sort of, Oh, you know, baby, child, baby, child. Yeah, it's like girl, woman, you know, little girl, thirty-year-old woman. So What's picky. the difference? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting with the the covers. The the leg thing has been big for a long time, and then I noticed that. What do we have next? Yeah. So the thing this year was bare backs, and um, I don't think the leg thing is ever going to be, you know, fully, um, you know gotten rid of, but yeah, I mean, remember this, this was just, there was a lot of this, these are all books that came out in the last year, and uh, yeah, I mean, wow. this, some of them are really, that one's pretty remarkable in, in many ways, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know, we can, I don't want to distract, oops, how do we go back to the, okay. This is, this is gonna, I, I, I don't want to distract from our conversation. Anyway, so that's the idea. But I mean, maybe Laura, as a, you know, part of the reason that I, that I you know, was interested in hearing what the two of you in particular had to say about this is, you know, Elizabeth, you worked in the film industry. You know what it means to try to market something and package something in a particular way. You were a publicist. I mean, is there some room, some star chamber where the marketer and the salespeople and the publisher are saying, this, this is a book that should have shoes or legs on it and needs a pink cover. Well, how did these conversations go? I think that that's how they go. I think that there is a room <laughs> full of people trying to sell the product and that that's business. And somehow the book business has always um, seemed to be not really a business because it's books and it's precious. Mm. And when I started at Random House in 1985, <clears throat> you know, it was a very different feeling than it is now. I mean, it was run by people who read books and not German businessmen. And so book, the, the thought that books were actually going to be marketed was so awful. 
but that's what they do. And clearly someone's buying, you know, now you walk into a bookstore and there is that ju just huge wall of pink paperback books with shoes or legs or martini glasses. And if no one were buying them, they wouldn't be there. So someone's buying them, despite the backlash of people questioning why is every book that a woman writes either chick lit or mommy lit or whatever lit. And the next, buying the next lit, it's going to be hen lit, they say, right? Hen lit. After you're out of being a chick, you you're right, become right. a hen. Oh. Right, right, right. No, this isn't right. a joke. That's what they say. Oh. No, it's sort of like mommy lit, but... Okay. Like maybe right before right mommy before lit that. or right after mommy lit. And now there's, che there's teen, <laughs> teen chick lit. Now there's this, it spawned this whole younger generation of just tons and tons of books of disembodied girls with like pleated skirts and really long, you know, just that skirt thing. And so they're selling. And is this a genre that replaced another one? Are, are, how did all this come about? Because it seems like the volume is just so huge. And, and I also want to be careful to point out that when we say chiclet, for the purposes of this conversation, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different levels within that. I mean, there are the books that are literally cranked out, you know, maybe by different writers. You know, may, maybe by writers writing under a pseudonym the way Harlequin romance novels were traditionally written. Um, so that, you know, there's that, and then it goes, you know, all the way up to, know, books that may, you know, in another era have been considered serious literature and, and you know, I or think... Or just a book. I'm sorry? Or just a book. Or just a book. No, don't be crazy now. <laughs> but, you know, the, the idea, I think, you know, part of the question that I want to ask is why are um, so many books of, of varying levels of quality and, you know, different types of ideas behind them getting lumped into this very reductive category? And, and how bad of a phenomenon is it? Maybe, maybe we're... Well, that's what I, I kind of... Yeah. I think that, that there, it isn't necessarily a bad phenomenon, and I kind of think that more women have benefited from the genre of chiclet, both readers and writers, than have been hurt by it. And by that, I mean, I, I don't think it replaced a genre. I think it is a new genre that has, has uh, responded to a new... Um, interest, a new, um, new marketing, I mean, a new um, demand. And so I think there's a lot of women writers who wouldn't have been published if there wasn't chiclet. And I think a lot of women love reading about shoes and dating and men and, you know, maybe next it's going to be mommy lit. They like to read about how to do all those things that mommies have to do. <laughs> and, and they like reading about their own experience. So I think what I, I think it's always regrettable when someone's been reduced into any category, but I think that's inevitable when you have thousands of books being published and the, and the marketing team has to figure out how we're going to position this one against that one. And that's inevitable in a, in a, in a business. And, and I guess if, if, we, if you follow the trend back to the beginning, um, I mean, the, the biggest one, of course, was Bridget Jones' Diary. And that was published, I remember when, I don't mean to keep referencing animal husbandry, but when it was published in 1998, I remember going to bookstores and a friend of mine worked for Penguin, US, the US division of Penguin. And they were going to be publishing Bridget Jones' Diary in the spring. And so I was going out on my book tour in, in 1998, January 1998, and I had gotten a manuscript. And I loved it, it was hilarious. And I remember sort of telling my friend who worked at Penguin, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna tell people about this, as if, you know, she needed it because yeah. she didn't, you know. But I remember sort of going to my book readings and saying, oh, well, 
if you like my book, there's this other one coming that's really funny. I'm sure she wasn't doing the same for me. But it turned out that there's always this collective consciousness. And, you know, I've been accused of copying Bridget Jones, even though our books came out basically at the same time. There's no way either of us copied either, either of us. And there were s several others that came out sort of within that initial time frame. And there is always this collective consciousness. When I worked at... Random House, there would be like seasons where there'd be four biographies of Ben Franklin. Why? Why? Why now? <laughs> but so things happen, and I think at the time for Chicklet, for, for Animal Husbandry and stuff, that was, it was sort of answering this need for women who were, there was an, a greater population of urban single women. Women were, you know, women were waiting to get married, or not getting married at all, and so they were working and waiting and living and, and having these relationships, and What's, what's interesting to me, though, is in contrast to the film business, is my experience in the film business might be outdated now, but if you were making movies that appealed to teenagers, and particularly teenage boys, you were really successful. If, if You were making the most reliably successful movies, and there was no shame in, associated with it, whereas it seems like there's some shame associated with chiclet. And, I feel like who's generating this shame? I, it's not men because they're not reading chiclet. They don't. They're not even thinking about chiclet. But I think women feel like, oh, this is a lesser genre because it's about shoes. Well, I, I don't read about shoes, but if you enjoy reading about shoes, and and uh, millions of women do, what makes it a lesser genre? But do you embrace the the, the label chiclet yourself? From my work, no, no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> of course not. No, I, I, I think I think it's I think that's the part of the part of the problem is you can't categorize yourself. You can, and you can't even choose what you write. Really, I think that when we were talking about this before, I think that when you set out to dist like I'm not going to write chiclet. I'm going to write a book. I'm currently the book I'm almost done with um, <laughs> is, is uh, involves a murder and. You know, some people read and said, well, they sure can't package this as chiclet. And I didn't They will, set, though. They will. Well, they might have to if they want to, you know, sell it. I, I, it's not my concern. I don't like it. But I feel like, well, that's their job. And um, my job is to write what I think I can write best. And yeah. if a lot of people like to read the, the Bridget Jones spinoffs, I think they're going to get tired of them, just like they get tired of in the movie business, they get tired of all the Western spinoffs, and then there's sci-fi spinoffs, and there's a cycle, and I think we'll cycle out of it. I mean, it is very strange and oddly flattering to be 40 and being labeled as chiclet. I mean, my third book came out when I was turning 40, and I thought it was really strange. And, you know, the thing with trying to figure out what to write about is, like, when I drive, <clears throat> I need a GPS, and I don't have one, but... When I drive, I have no sense of direction, so I'm always thinking, okay, I'm going to take a left. But then I think, no. I think I'm supposed to take a left, which means I'm going to take a right. So I self-correct. And then one more time, I usually self-correct one more time, because, no, well, I'm self-correcting, so now I'm going to go back to my original instinct, which is always wrong. So by the time, I'm always lost. And that's what happens with writing. I mean, you try, well, I'm going to write a story about X, Y, Z, and it's like, ooh, jeez, oh, there's a woman in it. I, Okay, I'll change the, you know. There's a woman and in it. There's a woman in it, or there's a child in it, or they're married, or they have a, you know, and so you end up trying to figure out what to do. And at the end of the day, I approve the jacket with the, with the butt on the back because it was about, you know, there was a story part of it that had to do with 
moms, you know. It wasn't the whole thing, but so. You got to approve it. That's nice. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> Maybe I hope they just said day. that. I really didn't have it. I'll get there. They would have they used it. But uh, there's certainly a long tradition of, of literature by women being looked down on. I mean, in a lot of ways, this conversation could be taking place 100 years ago. And even 10 years ago, uh, Francine Prose wrote a really, I think, pretty fantastic essay in, in Harper's about this very subject. And she, I, you know, we don't, we can't really do this here, but she actually pulled, um, you know, pieces of text that from novels yeah. by, um, by Hemingway versus a novel by Mary Gateskill. And um, I think Philip Roth was one of them, maybe not. But, and, you know, and without identifying them and sort of invited the reader to say, do you think a woman wrote this or a man wrote this? And I want to read just a, a little bit of what she says. Um, she talks about, well, she, she quotes um, from the novelist Diane Johnson, uh, who says on this subject that male readers um, perhaps have not learned to make a connection between the images, metaphors, and situations employed by women, house, garden, madness, and universal experience. Although women trained from childhood to read books by people of both sexes know the metaphorical significance of the battlefield, the sailing ship, the voyage, and so on. Mm. Now, she also quotes um, from Norman Mailer, who um, in, in advertisements for myself back in 1959 <laughs> said this, and this may be familiar to some of us, I have a terrible confession to make. I have nothing to say about any of the talented women who write today. Out of what no, out of what is no doubt a fault in me, <laughs> here comes. I do not seem able to read them. Indeed, I doubt if there will be a really exciting woman writer until the first whore becomes a call girl and tells her tale. Well, that day has come, yeah. actually. It definitely <laughs> come. At the risk of making a dozen devoted enemies for life. Just a dozen. Yeah. I, can say, I can only say that the sniffs I get from the ink of women are always fey, old hat, quaincy, goisy, tiny, too dykily psychotic, crippled, creepish, fashionable, frigid, outer baroque, maquis and a ma mannequin's whimsy, or else bright and stillborn. Ooh. <laughs> and this was back in, in 59. Obviously, beyond the marketing and packaging issues, there is a... a a sort of psychological thread that's that's run throughout the culture and that's run throughout letters. What's the why aren't I? Because I, I think it's that men are not interested in women's stories. I don't know why, but I think that I mean J.K. Rowling made it Harry Potter, not Harriet. But what do, what what makes a, a story a woman a woman's story? A female protagonist, just to start off with. Now, if a man writes about female protagonists, if the, I mean, I've talked to men about this. If it's a book written by a man and there's a female protagonist, they might read it. A book written by a woman with a female protagonist, it's going to have to come with certain recommendations by certain people, and they're not going to take a chance on it. Whereas women read about men's stories, and women go to men movies about men's conquests and battles and we're not dragged to them the way um, I, I, and, and it's like I said I was surprised by my book the reaction men have were, was you know universally I would never have picked up this book because there's a little girl on the cover and I think well god I've read lots of books with little boys on the cover what, what, what's the problem about that like you don't want to hold a book with a little girl on the cover what, you're going to think you're what <laughs> what are they going to think <laughs> so that's 
I think that's a social fact. I don't know how you can change it or if it's changing, but I think that, that the publishing business knows that. And they go, well, women are the biggest reading audience. We've got to get that majority. And then if it trickles over to men, fine. Um, then, then there's a whole elitist you know, reviewer group that's another separate question, I think. That why, is the, why are the awards and the elite magazines dominated by men? Why are they dominated by men? Yeah, and that's something that Francine Prose gets to in this piece. I think and it's a and the, you know, the, the article is a decade old, but I think if you, you, know, if you want to talk about go beyond the book business and talk about journalism and general interest magazines, the New Yorker is doing a little bit better these days, but I think you know, five or six years ago, the ratio was you know there was an enormous gulf between male and female bylines, and we still see that kind of gulf in the, in the Atlantic and Harper's, and I think it's. But you were asking be an interesting question before: Is that because women aren't and aren't? Are, are we doing this that? to ourselves? Is my next question. Are we complicit in the subjugation? Are we complicit? Are, are, are we not taking on the big subjects? Are we, are we ghettoizing ourselves by you know, taking the easy assignment and writing about... Like the elephant trip to India. Well, versus... that's... <laughs> it was either that versus... or Bosnia, so well, what do you think? Right, yeah. I'll, yeah. I mean, do you have thoughts ahead, on that? Laura, why don't you take that one? You know... <laughs> I think it's what... I mean, we were talking about this before. It's sort of you write about what you write about, and... You know, you can try to, I mean, certainly we've all been lazy. I don't write that much for magazines because I'm really lazy, so I'm not even doing it. But, I, you know, the, there are assignments or, or things to, um, I mean, I think, I, think, I think I've been lazy too, but, but on the other hand, I'm just writing about what interests me. And so, in, you know, for me to sort of come up with some really, big, pretentious thing that has nothing to do with what I would be right, you know, well, not just who also, I am. You I know? think also what you, at least in my case, what I wrote, my first book established me as a, a certain kind of writer in the eyes of magazine editors. So when I pitched other ideas, they were kind of like, uh, could you write about, like, you know, the movie business or cancer, please, because that's really what you know about. And I was like, wow. But I mean, so I was, I was, you know, so if you've written whatever your first, you know, you'd be, they, right. they, you you'd can go to O that. Magazine and right. Vogue and more and... But do you think that a male writer would have that same experience? If, if a guy wrote a book that was very light, say, um, but, like, you know, still not necessarily a, a thriller or a genre book. A good example is what, Indecision. Right, what, I, Benjamin I, which Kunkel. I enjoy. Benjamin Kunkel. I enjoy yeah. quite a lot. Well, that book. So this book, I don't know if anybody remembers it. I hope you do. It, it came out in 2005, or two, yeah. maybe 2005 or 2006, and it was billed as the, kind of the male. Not it was. It was supposed to be this sort of male answer to this genre, and in in that you're really inside this guy's head, and he's angsting about women and dating. Am I am I describing this accurately? Yeah, I mean, it was a young man's. It was yeah. about his indecision about life and his wandering, and it was very internal. And you know, he took a little trip with a girlfriend, and it it was, it was. You could you could see how you could call it the male equivalent of chiclet, but he got a huge amount of. Uh, critical acclaim and and I've seen he's written things that have nothing to do with indecision indecision yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so I think you're probably right there's probably some but that comes back to the a level of confidence too that I I wonder if women writers have 
in the same way that some men writers I've, I know personally have, and, and you can see in their writing. For example, Jonathan Franz and David Foster Wallace, Philip Roth, can go on and on on these digressions that I think women feel like, you know what, I gotta keep to the story, and who am I to digress about whatever interests me for pages and pages and pages? I'd really better just, and I think that could also have to do with the, the sense of entitlement to write about you know, you know, I'm interested in the woman in Liberia who's running the country. Well, so what, Elizabeth? You know, you wrote a book about cancer in Hollywood. But you, you can't go write about that. If no. you, but if you were to do that, how do you think it would be received? Laura, if you were a publicist and somebody said, well, you know, Elizabeth Robinson wrote one book and now she's written a book about Liberia, how would you <laughs> pitch that? If only how she could sell that? Book you know, shoes. I mean, on the one hand, um, you're, you're completely stuck, and on the other hand, there's always a chance, but with men, it's a lot easier because, I mean, when a man writes a book, he's just writing a book. The book either sucks or it's good. It's not, well, what, what is it? You know, is, is it this or is it that? It's a book, it's about something, and it's either good or bad. It either sells or it doesn't sell, period, end of story. With women, it really is, well, wait a minute. Is she Danny Shapiro, and she writes for The New Yorker, and she writes about women, but some, somehow has not been pegged as a chiclet writer, although her covers do end up with body parts as well. You know, <laughs> But she's published in The New Yorker, and she isn't chiclet. Or, or, before you even get out the door or get on the phone, there's this enormous, like, well, you know, Talmudic discussion of what it is. Um, I also want to ask you guys about humor, because it seems to me that if a novel by a man has humor, and Philip Roth is a good example of somebody who can write hilariously, John Irving is an example of somebody who may not be considered in some corners truly literary, but writes in very broad comedic strokes, and they are still considered you know, at the top of their game and on the, you know, absolute literary stars. If a, if a woman has, puts, puts funny scenes and funny dialogue into a novel, that changes the equation significantly. How, yes. how does it? Well, as someone ha who has been accused of writing humorously, if you are not a, br if you're female and you're writing humor, that's a problem, unless you are British. <laughs> if you are British, you can write anything, and it's funny. And then you can it's write also brilliant. funny. You also get oh, a genius brilliant. MacArthur Award for it's it. It's brilliant. It's you know, it's Jane Austen. It's this. It's it's a comedy of manners. It's if you're British, and if you're if you're American, trust me, it's a very different story. You could write the same book, switch switch jacket blurbs, and it would get a completely different review. I mean, I think that. This whole thing sort of goes back to, in the 70s, I think, before Chick Lit and before all that, there was commercial writing and there was literary writing. Yeah. And it wasn't a male-female discussion, it was commercial fiction. Did you write commercial books or did you write literature? And that division, the line was money. Who got paid what? And the commercial writers got paid lots of money and they got more money because they sold books. And the literary people, so there was already this big divide in publishing in books. Were you literary or were you commercial? And when I was working in publishing, that's what it was. There was no female, male version of that yet. It was just like the, the people who wrote trash 
were hated by the people who wrote literature. And, and they were mainly jealous because the literature people or the fancy writers at Knopf couldn't get the money that the disgusting people at Simon & Schuster would get for their <laughs> big Don't you people. think that's part of what's happening with Chiclet? There's a lot of yeah. male and female writers who resent exactly. the huge sales of Chiclet writers because they're not... Yes. They're, they're commercial fiction. That's so, what I think is at the root of that. I think, and that, I, that, that's always existed. It's just now there's another category of right. commercial fiction that is resented by people who aren't writing badly enough to be in I didn't mean that. I mean, I'm in that. I, I think. I'm in that. Maybe category. it's just been recast. Actually, now that you're saying that, I'm wondering if, if commercial fiction has just become dominated by women. It has. I mean, publishing it. would say that women, women are the biggest readers. By 80, like 80% 80 of books are bought by women. So right. the fact that women, that's like I said, the equivalent of the movie business, it's the teenage boy. So, but they're worshipped in the movie business. No one is ashamed of making movies that make $100 million, where here it's like, oh, well, it's chiclet. We should be ashamed of it. Right. And I think that's part of the conspiracy that women have against each other for what they like. I think you like shoes and boys and you know, dating and weeping or whatever that's all about. It's Hagen great. Does. Why is there something yeah. to be ashamed right. about it? But in publishing, there was always a shame. The most revered writers sold the least amount of copies. That was the measure of, you know, how revered were you? Did you <laughs> your book sold? No. You know. I mean, I mean, now it's a, it, there is a reverse, but, but there really was, you know. Only three. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it must be really good. <laughs> well, we're going to take um, audience questions now. Although I do have one more question for you, so I may inter I may interrupt the audience, but maybe somebody will read my mind and ask. Okay, uh, thank you, folks. We'll now begin our uh, Q and A portion of our discussion tonight, and um, we want to remind you that this is being recorded for video and audio. So all questions must be asked into the microphone. Just raise your hand and wait for uh, Sokolov staff to get to you. There's two of us going around on each side. Um, state your name before your question, if you please. And um, we will also be passing our donation buckets at this time. So we do appreciate any and all support. You can't Any ask questions? a question unless you give money. How about that? <laughs> Ladies, we have a question to your right. My name is Lulua Khazoum. I write for <clears throat> very mainstream magazines. And for a few years, I was writing for women's and girls' magazines like Marie Claire Self, Cosmo Girl 17. And I stopped because I found that my voice got corralled into this very narrow mm. tone. And I'm wondering, just taking off of what you were talking about, are we doing this to ourselves? I found that if I was writing about something like women in prison and talking about some very serious situations, I could only sell it if the woman was really cute. Um, and I find that we have to have tidy narratives and we always have to be wearing these boots and it always has to be something with sex appeal. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how does this go perhaps hand in hand with the way that feminism has turned, that we used to have this radical 60s and 70s questioning, challenging, very out there, and then it became, well, we also want our lipstick and our purses and our shoes. Have we swung in the other direction, and is that in some way self-defeating, perhaps? Good question. <laughs> self-defeating. Thanks, Laura. Um, well, it feels self-defeating, and having written for some of these magazines myself, it's infuriating how, like, 
sappy and reductive and simple they want everything to be. And, and, and yet, how, and by yet the way, how hard it is to just sorry. interrupt you. Is, is how hard it is to actually write those articles. And it, it once took, um, I wrote one piece for Self magazine and it took nine months. You know, they oh built the bomb sooner than it took me to get <laughs> that know. piece right. I and it went that. back yeah. and forth. I and mean, yeah. you can have a baby in oh, nine months. Yeah. And, and what you said about this humor. This piece was all, I mean, it was just about moving back to where I was from. Uh. It shouldn't have been that hard, you know. And it was back and forth. And could you talk about movies that you've seen? And I was like, well, but why? You know, I mean, yeah. it, it was just this, 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 it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And I found that the, what, to speak about humor, um, like, that there, like that you notice there aren't many female comedians. There aren't late night talk shows. I mean, they're, they're all men. Um, women's magazines are not as funny as men's magazines. No. Oh no, and the writing isn't as good. No, but they won't. They don't want you to be because no, it's it's deadly I've tried serious. And they go, you know, you're really funny, but we don't really want to write funny. Unless and it's Esquire a humor and... syndrome. Is it a humor syndrome? Is being funny a, a syndrome? Oh, then right, then they'll right. then you're well. Right. The other thing with the magazines, I, I'll just say this quickly because I've I've had a long history writing for these magazines, and my understanding is that. It's not that the magazines are stupid because women are stupid. It's simply because more women read. So a woman who is going to read mm. self is going to have a certain education level. By the time a man reads at all, this is according to demographics, this is not my opinion, he's going to be of a, of a level oh. where he's going to be reading Esquire and GQ and the stuff that's in there. So it's actually, again, and I think that this is an issue that extends to the, to the book issue too. It's not that this is terrible to women and this and we've all been put in this in this ghetto. It's that in fact a lot of women are reading and some of them aren't very smart and some of them are really smart and, and it's mm. just that it's being sort of all put into the same mm. container when mm. in fact there are many, many nuances mm. therein. So it may just be a sort of sort of, you know, semantic issue in some ways. But your your question whether we're going back by does chiclet sort of take us back? Is that sort of my my own observation of just you know I obviously wasn't around in the '60s for the feminist movement, but just my understanding of how it's evolved is first it was really challenging and questioning and you know empowering in some very radical and raw kind of ways, but then there was this swing of well we don't want to have to forget the shoes and the lipstick and this other stuff. And my opinion, and I'm interested in what you think. My opinion is that we've now corralled ourselves into, you know, you can't say something powerful unless you, you know, have the really cute skirt on. And can we, can we just be makeupless and, you know, wearing whatever sneakers and say something powerful without having to look cute or sexy? Can we have a message in a magazine or a book without it having to right. have this, you know, yeah. cute package? It just, it just, my opinion is that we, we've yeah. kind of, We've kind of um, narrowed the, yeah. op, n not expanded. Yeah. But I think that, yeah. that women, in a lot of ways, women have done that to, to themselves mm. because when, when, you're, when you're a female, you can't win. You can't win. If you're wearing sneakers and clogs and overalls, God, you know, jeez. If you're wearing lipstick, I mean, it's always been, what are you? Are you you know, going to wear lipstick and are you going to be shallow and look good or are you going to do the other, in the, in the 16th century, it was that, that feminist, you know, it was one or the other. And so it's always been this one or the other, which are you? And it's swung, I think it's, it has swung back and forth where, you know, 
each side sort of dominates for a little while and then and then they're wrong and then it's back to this and then it's back to you know we should be allowed to wear lipstick there shouldn't be anything wrong with wearing lipstick or shoes or you know that doesn't necessarily make it shallow but it just swings back and forth as opposed to it just being in one way whatever. it probably it probably has expanded because i think what you were saying you know early feminism was a revolt against the uniform of the 50s, you know, perfectly put together woman swung the other way, what you're saying, it swings back. But now I think there's, there's more diversity. I don't think there's, I don't think the only feminists are wearing clogs. I think there are feminists who are wearing shoes like these, for example, <laughs> and who sometimes wears clo wear clogs. I mean, I don't think there's, so in a, in a way, I think it's, it has expanded that there's, and I think that you shouldn't have to I mean, I think if you enjoy, like I said, if, if there, there's obviously a lot of women who enjoy reading about lipstick and reading about affairs and men and fashion, if they enjoy it, why should that be a shameful thing? Right. It shouldn't be enslaving like it maybe was in the 50s, but I don't think it's necessarily inherently bad in that women attacking each other for clogs or heels seems is, is the self-defeating thing, that women are so hard on each other. Um, in a way that they aren't on men, and, and yeah. is antithetical to the very feminism that you're right. that you're grieving the loss of, you know, ironically. Ladies, okay, we have a question, question to your left side here. If you could stand, sir, please. Yes, uh, my name is Jim Valentine. I just wanted to ask you what your your uh, estimation and opinion is of Ian McEwan's Atonement, which is, in my estimation, is a, a masterpiece of literature. Uh, I just and ironically, of course, the central character is a woman. Well, the, girl, the, too. the girl and, and a woman. And uh, the, the, the fiction later is that the book itself is written by a woman. But it's, the book is really written by a man. And I just can't imagine a woman writing today writing at that level, that level Ooh. of literary excellence. Them are fighting words. What was your name? <laughs> no, why do you think that you, you, you don't think a woman can write it that well? Have you read my book? No, no. <laughs> Have you read Laura's book? <laughs> well, I'd be happy to read your books okay. and give you my opinion on them. Okay. But uh, in any event, uh, uh, no, I, I, I read books and I, I tend to, to see the level of the style and the structure of the story. I was an English major, you know, 40-some years ago. And, you know, I can tell when something is contrived, when it's, right. when, when it's part of a genre, when it's uh, designed to be marketed, and I can tell when something has been put together as a work of art at a higher level. Right. Well, Atonement's a great book. It is a great book. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I do. It is a great book. It is. I think it's an interesting that he chose to make it a little girl and that he chose to make his voice a woman's voice. That's interesting. And it, I think it's interesting that you read it, I bet, because a man wrote it. Okay, <laughs> I have a feeling. Ladies, <laughs> question to your right. Okay. Hi, my name's Maya. And uh, my question has to do with um, kind of the larger cultural context and with what happened recently with the election and how 
Um, it's so okay to uh, belittle women in our society still, right? In a way that would be totally unacceptable to belittle a person of color. Um, and, you know, it's sort of interesting, like, chiclet isn't taking seriously, you know, in many circles where, you know, um, chick flicks, right, are shallow, um, and, you know, women like Hillary Clinton are still not being taken seriously, and I just feel like, um, why do you think that is? And, you know, I think that's obviously both coming from men and women, like, why do we belittle ourselves as women? Why does our society still belittle us after um, many, many years of struggle? And why has it been different for other groups that have struggled in, in maybe a similar way, but I feel like we're just stuck in this horrible box. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do. I think that no, but I think, but part of what I, was, I observe is I think that women are part of the problem. Big part. I think that women are not as supportive of each other. I think they're more critical of each other than they are of men. I think they still want men's approval. I think this is something to do with the awards business that we haven't really talked that much about. I think that getting a certain award obviously helps sales, helps your ego, but it also means that the male reading community of writers has given you a stamp of approval, and getting that from women isn't enough for women. And um, I, I think it stems from I think, it, I mean, obviously, it's, it's not only women's participation. I think men are not, they don't see the benefit of feminism to them as much as um, they should. I think it's definitely a lot to do with women's in, just innate insecurity about themselves and their always feeling that they are not doing the right thing. And that, that shows up a lot. Um, in the motherhood arena, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home or you're this or that, and whether there is really that, that whole war, you, you know, you can say it, it exists or it doesn't exist, but it exists in the mind of almost every woman I know. You know, if you're home, you feel bad that you're, you feel like you're a loser, and if you're at work, you feel like you're a terrible mother. And that, I mean, if you roll that back to single women and, you know, women who are working and they've got friends who are already married and have kids. I mean, women just always feel like they're doing it wrong. And, and they just eat themselves up and then they just, they feel all this shame and then they just turn it outward because you know, in order to make themselves feel less bad, then they have to tear someone else down. And I think that's been a big part of the chiclet thing because most of that chiclet business is between women, you know? I've sat on panels with women who really won't look my way because, you know, we do it to each other, you know. So I think until women start to really get away from that self-loathing and, you know, let themselves just make, do their thing, it's always going to be But then way. there would be no need for women's magazines if there was no self-loathing. <laughs> that's right. Be no, yeah, yeah. Ladies, we have a question up front here. My name is Pearl. Um, I'm not a writer, although I write just for myself. Um, I was hoping I would hear a definition of chick lit, because I really didn't know what that meant, uh, except in a very um, uh, you know, synthesized way. But I really uh, hoped you would go into that. But how, as you've been describing it, it sounds like it's a formula, like you write a formulaic thing so that it could be sold, or do you want to write 
um, as Jim said, something authentic, something that comes from your experience, from your soul, from what you felt, from what you lived through. These kinds of things would come out great whether you're a woman or a man. But they are authentic. For them, I, I think I think that the women. That's what I was saying about you. Write what you can write, and and a, a lot of women writers who write this genre genre are writing about their experience with men, with dating, with weight loss, with dieting, with their mothers, women's issues, and they write about them. And some. Well, why would that be just called chick lit? Because it, it appeal. It's it's just a category that's a cute name that that says these books are for and by women. Well, but there are those who ask, can a man write as if he were a woman? And uh, as and, he said in a book like Atonement or Wally Lamb's book or yeah. uh, other books, uh, it seems that some men can. Can women write as if they are men? Think like a man in yeah. their book. And yeah. I'd like to know, uh, you know, how do, it, would they, that be called chick lit? No. no. I, I, I'm a, what <laughs> I'm wouldn't. against, what I'm fighting is a category that seems to be developing uh, uh, beyond what writing really should be about, which you would call literature as opposed to commercial. So literature yeah. is what I think writers want to aim for, want well, to write. Well, you're in the right room because this is exactly <laughs> what, what we're trying to get at. There, I, there should also, the, the distinction should be made that there is, there is a big wall in every bookstore of pink books about <laughs> you know, stuff like shoes and martinis. And a lot of it isn't very good. And then there's books that women write, like us, that get, I mean, that, that aren't about martinis and shoes, but get called chiclet anyway. So there's two kinds of chiclet. There's, I'm the sorry? Pub, the publishers the, the, are calling The publishers and, and the, the reviewers. And all the, and all the book reviewers. Yeah. So that there's people writing books that are are very consciously going for a formula a formulaic story, and and there's sometimes there's series of them, and now they're sort of teenage series of very formulaic books, and that's and and people are buying them, and that's fine, and I guess what we're talking about is this sense that there there if you're just a woman writing a book, you end up in that category anyway, most of the time. I think we have a question. Ladies, we have a question to your far right. Okay. Hi, my name is Christy Sean, and my question is, I'm curious to understand, not being someone who's not really um, familiar with the publi publishing industry, when you talk about, it sounds like for both of you, the content that you write about isn't necessarily chiclet per se, but it's kind of how it's packaged and the um, what the publishers, uh, I guess, are targeting in terms of like an audience. How much involvement do you have after you've finished writing your book? Do you come up with, you know, kind of drafts of what the cover would look like that's reflective of what the content is? And then secondly, is it men, typically men, that's evaluating what the cover should be? Is it a mix of men and women? Is it women? What's that demographic like? I'm just curious to know. It's, I think, I mean, in publishing houses that I've worked for, it's always been, it's been mixed. And probably more women, probably a little bit more women than men. It's um, been my and experience. In um, my experience with, I've only published one book, and I had no control over the marketing of it or the cover of it. Where did you go? 
Oh, yeah. I, I actually, that's not entirely true. The first jacket they proposed, I really, really hated. And I really didn't understand because it was a tiara. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it was just a tiara. <laughs> and again, I thought, wow, it's Hollywood and cancer wards. How do you get a tiara from those two things? But I really objected to that. They came, they came up with something else. I came up with ideas that they didn't like, and, and they went with what they liked. But and I think that when you have more power as a writer, perhaps Laura is an example of this, <laughs> because yeah, you got to influence the cover. No, honestly, I think if you've, if you've made somebody money, they might listen to you a bit more. Well, I mean, if you're the first, a new, new the, writer, they go, When Animal Husbandry came out, there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't already this pre-existing pink business going on. <laughs> there was no pink. And so... You know, the, either they sent me the jackets and they, they were very nice about, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure if they really wanted the jacket, they would have taken the jacket because I didn't have any contractual, really, it was just a, it was a, it was a niceness, you know, do you like your jacket? And they basically want you to like your yeah, jacket. Yeah, they ask you. I mean, at a certain point, if you don't like it and they like it, they're, they're going to use the jacket. But at the time, there wasn't this pink thing, there wasn't the shoes, there wasn't all that. So it really was like, do you like your jacket or do you not like your jacket? And it, it went back and forth like that. Is this going to sell the is this going to sell the book? Is this not going to sell the book? But now it really is so much about category. You know, is it is it going to be one of those or is it not? In which case, what is it? And it's not going to sell. And it might not sell even with the pink jacket, but it has a chance of being one of those books that gets. Um, but I would also but. just have to emphasize that as a general rule, authors have no, yeah, control, have over, no control over jackets. I mean, there's, you, you, it's in your contract. That if, you, if you have consultation, yeah. that's huge. And consultation is a formality, right. I think. So no Only control over headlines in newspapers or magazines and no control over jackets. Everybody Ladies, we have a question to your left yeah. here. Hi, I'm Travis Coplow, and... Um, I wrote a dissertation on the framing of the Constitution, and I guess I just kind of wanted to insert a little historical note here that in the 18th century and the 19th century, there was also chick lit. Um, and um, I, I wrote, you know, boldly as a woman dared to write a dissertation about this. I, I'm sorry, I, I had a question for you, but I feel like I need to ask that guy a question, but I'll restrain myself. <laughs> Um, There's a reception afterwards. Okay. With alcohol. <laughs> um, in any case, um, one of my chapters is on a genre called seduction novels. And the rhetoric around seduction novels has to do with not just the way that they're written, but the way that they're read. And they were perceived to be frivolous and read largely by women and who um, promiscuously interacted with them. They didn't uh, detach in the way that an enlightened reader should. They acted on their body, they got carried away, they cried. Um, and that was one of the arguments made for not extending suffrage to women. And I guess sitting here now and talking about chiclet and having a man be able to say that a woman couldn't write atonement and entertaining Sarah Palin as the vice presidential nominee, <laughs> all of these things seem to be converging for me and I guess I'd like to know what you all think about that. Ladies, we have a question to your right. 
Hi, um, I'm Amanda Yates, and I just want to, can I hold, can I hold this? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, let her hold it. It feels really weird. Um, no, I just wanted to say that I, I think that, um, that, that women are actually doing a really amazing job, and, and I think, you know, yeah, we, like, much like the blogging scenario, like, you know, you have to think of something to say, and yeah, like, when you put us in a room, we might be like, oh, well, there's chiclet and there's other kinds of lit, but, I mean, women write so much, and we buy so much fiction, yeah. so it's like, really, what's the problem? Like, you know, like, we're the ones who are making the money in this industry, and we're the ones writing it, so it doesn't really matter whether or not a guy thinks that we don't write as well because we're more important to the industry. So, and, and, and furthermore... I, I agree with that, except socially, culturally, it disturbs me that yeah, men but, are not interested in women's books. Yeah, but really, it's like, whatever, you know? Like, if they're, not, if they're not interested, that's not our problem. We're the ones who are buying the books and we're the ones right. who are selling it. And loads of women are getting published in, in small presses, in big presses. Yeah. Loads of women are win winning Pulitzers. Loads of winning, women are winning the Man Booker Prize. Like... It, it, like, like, what's the problem? Well, mm -hmm. I mean, I know, I, underst I understand. Why are we here? Why are we here? No, 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 I understand, <laughs> but it's like, I, I just think that, that, like, you know, if you put a bunch of men in a room, they'd all be like, well, he's a hack, or he's not a real writer, oh, yeah, too, they are. you know? They're so, brutal. like, they fight amongst themselves, yeah. too. I don't think that women really pick on each other as much mm. as maybe we're saying that they do. I think that women actually really support each other. Women have book groups. Women, like, rock. Well, you've the obviously world, never been so. in a book group. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, yeah. like a book group. I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, I think that uh, women are doing really well, and, and I appreciate that. So. Good to hear. <laughs> Ladies, we have a question to your left up here. Hi. Um, I, I kind of agree with, oh, Laurel Busby, and I kind of agree with her. I think some of the statements about chiclet, about it being about shoes or martinis, I think really it's about love, it's about the heart, and some people might not do it very well, it might be kind of formulaic, and others might do a really good job with it, but it's a big, I mean, it's lumping a huge variety of types of books in chiclet. When I hear chiclet, I hear, oh, it's about a woman. So it might, I, I'll read the first page, eh, this one I don't like, <laughs> you know, I'll read this one, okay, this one seems more my speed, and I read a variety, you know, of stuff from genre fiction, like mysteries, it's the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If it has a murder in it, blah, it's a mystery. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of helpful as a reader to have this tool. And I, I do, I, I wish it wasn't diminished in the ways people talk about it. I mean, it's about stuff, feelings and heart and connections mm -hmm. between people. I mean, it's the biggest subject mm -hmm. and that's what women are writing about. So all these like, you know, high speed chases, <laughs> those are not of any connection to you know most people's lives. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think it behooves us to like, yeah, I, I guess I, I just, I wish we could talk about it better, you know, about what it really is. Because mm -hmm. that's, I wonder why, why, why we diminish it ourselves right. when there's right. no reason to. It's, right. it's the impor most important stuff. Right. Okay, ladies question to your right. Hi, um, my name is Scott, uh, I'm a writer of poetry, so I guess that puts me at the top of the low sales hierarchy. <laughs> um, and I, I like the distinction between the commercial and literary genres, and I, you know, I kind of had seen previously Chiclet as sort of one of those commercial genres, you know, mystery, spy novels, men's genres have that too. I'm wondering going forward, 
and it sounds like it might be the former, is, is, is Chiclet threatening to push out, push women out of the literary genre, more literary novels, and if so, what do you, what do you think can actually be done in a practical way going forward? That's sort of what you're th worried about, right? Oh, me? Yeah, a little bit. Well, I don't, I mean, is Chiclet pushing women out of literary genres in that they're just not writing in a literary way? Um, no. I, I personally, yeah, I think so. And this may be, we may disagree slightly on, on this, but, you know, for my money, I've just seen too many really, um, really complicated novels with, with complex thoughts and really thought out themes and, and, and dark humor um, placed into this, this category because the author is a woman, the author is young, the author is a middle class white woman for whatever reason. And people start, you know, they go out and buy the book and they go, well, this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. This is, there are digressions in here. This goes on and on and on. Eh, you know, I don't, so, and I'm not saying like this is a, a major, you know, federal emergency that <laughs> Barack Obama needs to deal with, you know, next week, but, but I think it's, it's something to think about, and, and I, do, um, I, I, I do hope that, um, you know, as you say, this, this shall pass, and we can go back to being able to recognize a, a book for what it is. But also, and we were talking about this earlier, is it, you know, is Chiclet, there's all this talk, well, it's, it's, it's pushing out all these other books, and what, what I was saying earlier um, was that, you know, there they're not really replacing books. I mean, back maybe 10 or 15 years ago when all these chain stores started to open up, there were just stores and stores and opening up everywhere. And I was a publicist back then. And, um, you know, they needed authors. They needed merchandise. They needed inventory to fill these stores. It's like the equivalent of the McMansions. These bookstores were not like the neighborhood bookstore that had like a normal amount of books. These were just gigantic you know, 40,000 square foot places that needed merchandise. And so publishers began to publish even more to fill those shelves. And so then you have these shelves of shitty books a lot of times. <laughs> and so instead of it really pushing anything out, I think it just added this gigantic category, some of which is really good and some of which is really bad. And I think now with the economy the way it is, it will self-correct because there are publishers shutting down and there are publishers who are not buying new manuscripts to publish. So it will probably all kind of settle down anyway. But I think that explosion of Chiclet was part, it came at the same time that there was an explosion in the chain stores, which they've already started to shut some of them down. A question in the very front row. Do I have to stand? What if they think my butt is big? <laughs> <laughs> um, that could be a good title for a chiclet book. <laughs> they think um, my butt's big. My name's Liza. Uh, I was an English major, and uh, I kind of moved on to TV. I just brought the book to look smart. Uh, you, you mentioned that women tend to use like the imagery of like the house, the garden, and madness, and as far as chiclet covers go, I think you can kind of add like cocktail dresses and shopping and pink. Personally, I'm not interested in like any of that, and I find it kind of ironic because the feminist movement was kind of about, I mean, of course, there's two very opposite movements and directions, but it's about getting out of the house, out of the garden, doing what guys do, 
Um, so I think, of course, they wouldn't be interested in women's stories because they consider that like they left the women at home to do the cooking and the, the housework in the garden. So I think I just want your opinion on this and uh, I'm going to tie this into female comedians as well. I feel like a lot of them concentrate too much on being a woman instead of just being funny or saying what they want to say. They call attention to like, well, I'm a woman, so I have to talk about shopping or, you know, try to sound like, uh, try to give the equivalent of what they think a man would find funny. But like I said, it's concentrating so much on being a woman. And, and as far as like TV goes, not to bring in TV in a literature conference at all, but like women tend to be like the setup for the guy's joke. Like they're not typically known as the funny one. They're like there to set up the joke for the guy. And I just wonder why you think that is and how we can kind of get around it. Well, I know that was long-winded. To, to that, no, to that point, I think if, if, if the woman is funny, she's not sexy at all. I mean, in the, in the sort of corporate popular imagination, that's always been Well, the part case. of being funny is being subversive and critical. And that's still a domain right. that I think, I hate to say it, but I do think uh, men are not comfortable with women being that way. It's mm -hmm. it's makes them more uncomfortable than releasing, which is comedy is supposed to make you feel good. And a woman being uh, attacking or making fun of something is a little bit. I mean, I think that's why there's no late night talk show hosts because they're it doesn't make people want to go to sleep. It makes them <laughs> uneasy to have a woman making fun of the president. For example, but I mean, in terms in terms of the subject matter, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I, that wasn't that was Diane Johnson talking about the, the the madness in the house in the garden. By the way, I, I would never say something like that. Although, I mean, I those are subjects that we see. I think that at a certain point, in a really you know early point, there's a lot of copycat fiction, and I think that it's not necessarily a cultural phenomenon as much as it is a commercial, I want to get published. So I'm going to write about, okay, what was the last book that sold a lot? Well, for Bridget Jones, um, that spawned a whole bunch of these books about single women, single women. Bridget Jones, which was a radical was and hilarious. subversive and brilliant yes. book, by yes. the way, that was an, an indictment of the very culture that embraced it. So I find it a supreme irony that right. it created the monster and it just that sort it of did morphed into this culture and religion of shopping and that was not a necessarily a female thing the entire universe became brand conscious and and mm -hmm. and, and and you know um materialistic i mean materialistic to to like, like a religious point i mean brands and shopping and clothes and labels became so much a part of the culture male female i mean brett easton ellis you know there have been articles written about how many brands he mentions per sentence i mean he's the original shopper you know writer about shopping and things and stuff but he's not here you know but but women somehow that's what they started to write about, or that's what they started to include in, in the books um, in a way. I mean, I, I can't really explain it because I don't, I don't know that. I don't understand it more than that. But it became such a cultural issue that it just found its way into it, I think. Question on the far back. Uh, 
This will be the last question of the night. Everyone will have an opportunity for additional questions for our guests at our reception. Please join us. Thanks. Hi, my name is Gail Zipporah Saunders. I write a blog. My question is for Laura. Um, I'm wondering why they changed the title of your book. Oh. Yeah, that's a good Simple. question. Because it's about me. For, for the movie, you mean? <laughs> yeah, okay. this is why. Um, up until six weeks before the movie was to be released, Animal Husbandry was, you know, we, we saw it being filmed. There were signs, Animal Husbandry. And they had all printed all the materials. Everything was printed and, you know, it was great. And then about a month before the movie got released, I got a phone call saying they had done a focus group in Simi Valley. <laughs> and it wasn't good news because there were these teenage, they did it with teenage girls and these teenage girls did not understand, did not get the double entendre of animal husbandry and animal. They didn't know what animal husbandry was. And so that all of a sudden short-circuited everything. And it was this frenzy to come up with a better title. And, you know, I just remember, like, trying to figure out another title, another title. And we were hoping that they were just going to keep it. But they didn't. And they came up with this title that... Even I have trouble remembering someone like you. And someone like you is a, I, I don't think it's, there's a line, they inserted it in, it's kind of like, well, it's not really in there, but they, they ended up putting a line in like someone like you, which wasn't in the book, and not that that makes any difference, because half of the book wasn't, I mean, more than half was, was basically nothing left of the book in the movie, which is fine, <laughs> I don't care. But, so that, so the fact that they inserted a line that wasn't there doesn't, doesn't make a difference, but, <laughs> Bridget, jo you know, Bridget Jones's diary, the film, was released shortly after Someone Like You. And both movies included the song Someone Like You by Van Morrison, which, you know, hey, I love Van Morrison, but what is the deal with Someone Like You? It's the dullest song. For some reason, it made it into both movies. Unfortunately, mine got titled Someone Like You, but that's why. They got nervous and they changed the title to something completely unmemorable so but hey I'm okay well thank you so much for coming tonight and thank you Elizabeth Robinson and Laura Zygman